Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Chapters 6 through 9 in Alcuin of York's On Virtues and Vices deal with what we could call some virtues that are particularly central within a Christian moral framework. And they're not unique to Christianity. Of course, we can find some discussions of some of these sorts of things in pre-Christian philosophy as well, but they become really consolidated in Christianity. And particularly for monks like Alcuin, who are trying to think out what does the Christian life require? And you notice that he's going to cite a number of scriptural passages that reinforce these, including the Beatitudes, which are are absolutely central for Christian morality. And why talk about these four chapters together. Why not include some of the earlier chapters or the, you know, chapter that follows, chapter 10, humility? Well, all four of these chapters really have to do with some related issues, right? So how should we deal with other people, particularly when those other people are wronging us or insulting us or being difficult to get along with? Where do the limits lie? Should we just like give in all the time and let people run roughshod over us? Should we be forgiving to everybody indiscriminately? Should we try to be peacemakers all the time? Well, then don't we end up cooperating with evil and injustice. So this is a real significant set of issues and Alcuin is providing some very helpful commentary. And all of these are understood not just as regulating, we could call it relations with neighbors, but relations with our neighbors in relation to, and also to some extent, modeled by God or commanded by God and involving how God is going to treat us. So he begins by talking about peace, pox, and he says that this is a very important precept. He says the Savior returning to the Father as if as a special gift gave the precept of peace saying, I give my peace to you. I leave my peace to you. In peace, I send you out. In peace, let me find you. He wanted to give these things which he desired to find in all when returning. And so he's saying, listen, this is the way Christians should actually behave. And, you know, this combines, as he says, the concord, the like having agreement, not being in conflict with each other of siblings, of those within the same household, and also charity of neighbors. Now, charity is another word for the kind of love that is supposed to be displayed towards neighbors. So peace is not just a negative condition of like not, you know, fighting with anybody. Instead, it's something much more positive and substantive. He also says a whole bunch of things about it, and we should look at these. He says, peace is the mother of love. Okay, so again, another connection with love. A token of sanctity, right? The health of the people, the glory of priests, the joy of the country, the terror of the enemy, whether visible or invisible. And he says, peace is to be kept it with all vigor. This is something that requires work on our part. One who remains in holy peace remains with the holy 
holy ones of God. So he's belonging to a larger community. And now notice two things about this. So he's going to say it's for the priests to admonish the people in peace what they ought to do. It's for the people to hear in humility what the priest admonishes. So peace does not mean nobody tells anybody what to do or criticizes them, but it's supposed to be done in peace, right? And the priests themselves might need to be criticized from time to time. Hey, you're screwing up, right? And also notice something we, we brought up a little bit earlier, right? It is, you know, not just the mother of love and token of sanctity, the joy of the country, the terror of the enemy. Why would the enemy be afraid of peace? And who is the enemy here? Well, the greatest of enemy here is, you know, the force of evil, the devil, but bad people don't really like peace, even though they can talk about it or pretend that they like peace because it, it gets in the way of what it is that they really want to do. And sometimes peace itself really bothers them. And so, you know, he's going to tell us peace doesn't mean just indiscriminately accepting everything and everyone. He's going to say that peace is to be kept with the good and those keeping the precepts of God, following the, you know, the rules developing the virtues, not with the iniquitous, and there that's just a transliteration of the, the Latin word for that, and the wicked, the scelleratus, right? The, that's a, another word that comes up a lot that has a lot of resonance. It's also not to be kept with the vices, the vices are bad character traits that people have developed. And he's going to talk about the eight capital vices in here and also envy as another one. So it's not like you're, you know, if somebody is envious, you say, oh, well, love you as you are. Everything's a-okay. You can still say that enviousness of yours is not good. It, it doesn't conduce to peace. And then he goes on and people often say, hate the sin, love the sinner. What Alcuin actually says is since the bad deeds, the mala of impious people, should be had in hatred, odium, not the people themselves, even though they are bad. Why? Because they are creatures of God. So you can have as much peace as possible with bad people, but you can't have the same as you can with good people. Moving on to mercy, misericordia. This is a really interesting one. And this is part of the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are those who are merciful. Mercy will be shown to them. Another word for misericordia could be compassion, right? There is a need to be merciful to others. Why? As he says, a sinner cannot expect mercy from God who does not have mercy to those sinning against himself, right? So if you want God to show you mercy, you have to, however hard it is, show mercy to other people says, if we desire our souls to be cleansed of the filth of sins, we should not deny mercy to those sinning against us. Why? In the day of retribution, we're helped by works of mercy to the deserved mercy of God. We can actually afford it for Alcuin, deserve mercy to some degree by how we behave. So he says, we have to be merciful to our debtors. He will be able to expect forgiveness who has learned to forgive others. And then he says, you know, look, you've got a divine example here, you know, be merciful just as your father in the heavens is merciful. He makes his sun to shine on the good and the bad and rains on the just and the unjust. These are coming from uh, the gospels. And, you know, these are ways of saying, quit being such a vindictive jerk. 
right? Look at what God does. He, if he wanted to judge people according to what they deserve, maybe none of us would actually survive. Now, it's interesting because he also points something else out. Is peace just this unlimited namby-pamby, butter won't melt in your mouth thing? No, mercy can sometimes have to be combined with justice or discipline. And he talks about this in the case of the judge. Without One without the other would not allow him to do well. If there were mercy alone, that gives security to sinning to subjects of the judge. So if you actually have some authority, putting up with allowing people to behave badly, especially if they're affecting others, is not really being merciful in the right way. You also have to extend, you know, discipline or, or judgment or stuff like that. But he says, if only discipline were always present, then the mind of the delinquent is turned into desperation and the judge will not merit mercy from God. The other thing that he says that's really, really interesting here about misericordia, we should be merciful towards ourself. He says, person ought to begin this mercy from himself. In what way is he merciful to others who is cruel to himself? And you might say, oh, well, that sounds, you got to love yourself before you can love others. Well, yes, that's quite true. But what does Alcuin actually have in mind? Being merciful to yourself does not mean giving yourself a pass on everything. It means recognizing yourself as what you are. So he says, he is cruel to himself who prepares perpetual flames for himself by his sins. He is rightly merciful who starts for himself and keeps himself diligently. So being hard on yourself in the right ways is actually being merciful towards yourself because you're saying, I'm not going to let you get away with doing things that are actually damaging to yourself. The next one that he talks about, and this is in chapter eight, is we can translate it as remission or forgiveness, indulgentia. And there's a variety of language that's used here. This is very closely connected with the previous chapter about mercy. And he says that if you want to have your sins forgiven by God, you need to forgive other people. If you don't forgive other people, then you're not going to be forgiven yourself. And now notice what he says here that is really quite interesting. He tells us God judges us from our judgment. So what does that mean there? Judgment can be understood in terms of like an act of judgment. We look at ourselves and we're like, well, I shouldn't have done that. That was a jerky thing to say, or I shouldn't have given into that temptation over there. I shouldn't have wronged that person. We also have a faculty of judgment. God is, according to Alcuin, judging us through our own selves right? Now, our own selves can often be off base in this, but he says that in a measure, it's in our power, potestas nostris, in what way we're judged by God, our judge. Now, what does he mean there? So he says that if we judge mercifully about those offending against us, God will judge mercifully about us offending against him. And now notice what he's saying there. There's judging going on. Right? So don't just abandon judgment and be like, oh, everybody's okay, everything's fine. No, there's judgment going on and we need to be merciful in the judgments that we're making and then we can expect this mercy in return. And this involves us forgiving. 
He says, no one returning evil for evil. Don't be conquered by evil, but conquer evil in good. And so, you know, we should show clemency. We should show mercy. We should show forgiveness to people. And then finally, we get to patience. And this kind of brings it all to a close, this section. He says that, Patience is necessary in human life. Just as we ought to suffer patiently injuries brought on us by others, it's also necessary to suffer patiently the tribulations which will happen to us. So there's two main things, injuries from others and tribulations. And what are tribulations? Okay, so that's kind of a fancy biblically sounding term for crappy things that are happening that, you know, are going to test us. Trials and tribulations, people often say. Another word that he uses here is temptations. Should these things happen, it doesn't mean that all the good that we've done goes away, right? It just means that we're required to suffer, and that's what pazienta is, we're required to keep on going without allowing ourselves to lapse into bad behavior. So he says, patience is a perfect work. Nobody who is rightly wise who does not have patience. We go back to the first chapter about wisdom, right? If you want to have wisdom, you have to be doing all of these things here. And that is part of what is being revealed through, you know, we could say this, this Christian framework and it perhaps exemplified in the monastic life. Now, anybody who knows anything about monastic literature knows that sometimes this doesn't always take and happen, but it's perhaps more than in the, the secular life. And so he says that true patience is to bravely notice that courage and patience are involved there, endure in injuries in the face and in the future, not to seek revenge, but forgive from the heart. He'll talk about the ability of forgiving and not seeking out the opportunity of revenging. So true patience is not being passive aggressive and grumbling and saying, I'll get you, you know, down the line or something like that. It's actually letting things go. So patience, remission, mercy, peace, these are all intimately interconnected with each other, right? He says, we can be martyrs without sword or flames if we truly preserve patience in mind with our neighbors. This is actually quite striking. We can be martyrs. Martyrs are those who die for the truth of, of Christianity, witnessing to it. Martyr means witness, right? And we don't have to die. We can just put up with everybody's BS that we're called upon. And he says, it's more praiseworthy to avoid injury by being silent than to overcome by responding. So this also, you know, goes against the sort of passive aggressive, oh, I'll just be patient with you, expressing that to another person. You just shut up and deal with it, right? And do what you're supposed to do. So these four virtues, these four chapters that are discussing them, very, very important in the Christian life as sketched out by Alcuin in On Virtues and Vices. And you notice the connections of these with each other. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.